0: Well, I want to welcome everybody who is watching us via the TV or via the stream. We're so glad that you're a part of our service today. I also welcome everybody who is in the room. Can we welcome everybody on the live feed and the stream? We're welcome. Glad that you're with us. Now, one of the perks about showing up today is that on your way out, everybody is going to get a love all, serve all bracelet. So if you haven't picked up one of these bracelets yet on the way out, they'll have them on nice little trays like you're at Chick-fil-A, okay? And uh, you just pick up the bracelet that you want to get. There's a smaller size bracelet and there's a little larger size bracelet, but you walk around and you share with people that we're going to love all and serve all just as Jesus has commanded us to do. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and love all our neighbor as ourselves. Well, we're in the middle of a series called Fake It or Fix It, so let's get into the message today. There was a gentleman. He was out on his porch. He was revving up his motorcycle, and he accidentally hit it into gear, and it went through his back door and into his living room, and it dragged him through it. So he gets dragged through this glass door. He's just as cut up as he can be. His wife is in a panic. It seems obvious that the guy needs stitches. So she calls 911. In just a few minutes, the paramedics were there. Their house was up on a hillside, so they had to climb up several flights of steps to get to the entrance. They got inside, they grabbed the man, put him on the stretcher, and they rushed him to the hospital. Now, his injuries were not life threatening. So his wife said, Listen, I got a few things I got to clean up. I'll be following you in the ambulance in just a few minutes. So she went back into the family room and she saw the motorcycle and so she picked it up and she put it back outside and the glass was everywhere and she smelled gasoline because gasoline had come out of the tank and so she mopped up the gasoline. She didn't know what to do with it so she poured it in the toilet and then she headed on to the hospital. Several hours went by and finally he was discharged from the hospital and she brought him back home and he walked into the front room. And he was so discouraged. There's the broken door that he went through. There's the furniture that's all in disarray. And there's a smell of gasoline in the air. He's all stitched up. He just shakes his head in disgust, walks into the bathroom and sits down to go to the restroom. He's smoking a cigarette. Do you know where this is going? (sighs) He's smoking a cigarette, when he gets done smoking the cigarette, he throws the butt into the toilet. His wife was in the kitchen when she heard the explosion. See, she had failed to flush the toilet from the gasoline, and it shot him off the toilet through the shower doors, and it burnt his heart. It burned his backside as a result. So she calls 911 again, and the same paramedics show up to the same house. They climb the same flights of steps. Put him on just about the exact same stretcher. His stitches are all broken open now from what they did earlier. He's going to have to head back. And one of the paramedics asked his wife, said, how in the world did this happen? Well, she explained what took place. And the paramedics got to laughing so hard that they dropped the poor guy off the stretcher. He fell down several steps, and he broke his arm. Now, friends, I'm not sure if that's a true story or not, but that is drop-dead hilarious right there, all right? Have you ever had a bad day? Let me give you one that maybe you can understand a little bit better. You wake up one morning and you turn on your morning show, whether it's Good Morning America, Today Show, whatever it is, and you see that there is a virus that's spreading in China. But you're not too worried about it because after all, it's halfway around the world. You pray for the people. You pray that there would be a cure, that nobody would get sick, and that no one would die. But honestly, it's just a fleeting thought because it doesn't really affect you. About a week goes by, and you turn on the same show, and they say, oh, now there's cases of this virus in Seattle, parts of California, and in New York. But you're not too concerned about it because still, you're thousands of miles away from this virus until the day you're sitting there watching your local news and you find that it's now entered into your state, into your area, and into your neighborhood. And all of a sudden, the governor comes on or the prime minister of Belize. And they come on and they begin to share how there's now going to be a stay-at-home order. And that you can't go anywhere unless you're an essential worker. And if you're not essential, you stay home. So that's a blow to your ego right there, right? So now we decide who's essential, who's not essential. Of course, grocery stores, those things are essential. I appreciate that. I like to eat, okay? But everybody else is supposed to stay home, stay away from each other, wash your hands, put on a mask. we got to stop. The spread and everything that was once normal isn't normal anymore. Can't go to church. You you, you can't go to your job if you're not essential, right? Your kids can't go to school. You're still waiting for your kids to go back to school. You're like, what am I going to do with these children? And every day you think, well, maybe there'll be good news. Maybe it won't be someone saying one thing over here and then someone saying the direct opposite over here. Maybe today there'll be hope and light at the end of the tunnel. But you don't receive any. In fact, you get more and more anxious. You get more and more discouraged as each day goes by. Can anybody relate to that story? Let me see by raise your hands. How many of you have had a bad week? Anybody have a bad week? How about a bad month? How about bad 2020? Anybody had a bad 2020? I'm staying up late on December 31st. I'll tell you that right now. I got to make sure this year goes away. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's got to go, man. It's got to go. Well, today we're talking about how do we handle the storms of life? Cuz it just seems to me that for the past almost 6 months, we've been in one heck of a storm. So how do we navigate this storm, and and what do we do in the midst of a storm? So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus and his disciples are impacted by a storm. And the hope is that the lessons that Jesus tried to teach the disciples on this day will be the same kind of lessons that we could embrace today and it will help us navigate the storms that we seem to be facing right now. Let's look at the passage of Scripture together. Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 35, says, That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, Let's go over... To the other side. Well, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. Furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus and the disciples have had a pretty busy day. And so Jesus says, let's get in the boat. Let's head over to the other side. And Jesus is tired, so he grabs the pillow and he goes to sleep. And while Jesus is asleep, the storm suddenly comes upon them. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to go to Israel before. I had a chance years ago. And let me tell you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by mountains. It's 60 feet uh, under sea level. And because it's surrounded by mountains, it's easy for a storm to blow up over those mountains, a storm that you weren't anticipating. And I am told that when the storms get really bad on the Sea of Galilee, that the waves will reach a height of over 20 feet high. Now, some of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, weren't they? But they weren't recreational fishermen. They were professional fishermen. They were commercial fishermen. They had fished these waters for thousands of times before. Friends, listen to me. You know you're in trouble when you're on a boat... And a commercial fisherman is afraid for his life. You found yourself in a really bad storm. Years ago, I got the chance to go to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I went to this trip before we started this church because we knew we were going to be a portable church, which meant we were going to set up and we were going to tear down. That's what we had to do to have church because we were at Petroglyph Elementary School, and then later on we were at LBJ Middle School. We were setting up and tearing down for eight and a half years before we finally got to the ability to buy property and to build the campuses that we have now. So we wanted to go to Minneapolis because we'd heard about this thing called a portable church, kind of a church in a box, and I wanted to see how that functioned. So we went and we visited a couple of churches, and I took good notes. And now we were flying back. It was late one night. And the turbulence on board the airplane was more than I'm accustomed to when I'm on a flight. In fact, the guy who was sitting next to me, my friend Michael Murphy, was with me on that flight. Now, Michael was a Dove Award-winning contemporary Christian country artists. Try to say that fast three times. That's a mouthful right there. Uh, he traveled all over the world more times than I can. Been on thousands and thousands of flights. So we're on the flight and it's bumpy. You know, there's lots of turbulence. It, it, you've ceased the, the drinks, you know, that you can have there. And so all of a sudden we see the pilot, not the co-pilot, but the pilot come out of the cockpit. And Michael immediately turned to me and said, that's not good. And he came down, and he asked three people who were sitting next to where the wing is outside the window, he asked them to get up and move out of the way. And I said to myself, I said, self, I said, yeah. I said, that's not good at all right there. So the three people are in the aisle. The the captain, uh, the pilot of the plane, is over there, and he's looking at that wing, and he must have looked at that wing for five minutes. And with every minute that went by, you could just feel the anxiety and the tension that was going on in the plane, you know, the turbulence is just shaking us left and right, you know, what in the world's going on? Well, he didn't say a word. He goes back to the cockpit. Three people sit back down. About five minutes goes by. He comes out a second time. And I knew at that point, this is not good. And I turn over to look at Michael, and Michael has tears welling up in his eyes. The pilot comes back, asks the same three people to move again. They move into the aisle. He stands there for another five minutes looking out that window, looking at that, that, that uh, wing. Then he goes back into the cockpit. Three people sit down. Turbulence happening the whole time. And then he came over the intercom. And this is what he said. He said, we've got something stuck in one of the flaps on the wing of the airplane. And for us to effectively land this plane, we have to get whatever's stuck unstuck. And then he said this. We're going to do a nosedive 10,000 feet... So hold on. That's what he said. Hold on. I turned to Michael. Tears are now coming down his face. And then he did something I've never seen anybody else do in my entire life. He whipped out his wallet and he took his credit card. He swiped the phone. Do you remember when phones were stuck in the headrest in front of you? I have never in my lifetime seen anybody ever use one of those phones because they're so expensive. It's like 3 or $4 a minute. You know what I'm saying? And so he whips out his wallet. He sweeps the phone. The phone pops out, and he starts making a phone call. And I'm like, what in the world? Who are you calling? He said, I'm calling my wife. Tell her that I love her and tell her goodbye. He said, you ought to do the same thing. So I sat there, and I thought about it. Did I fail to mention how expensive one of those phone calls is? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm so cheap. I turned to Michael and I said, hey man, have your wife call my wife and tell her that I love her and that I'm gonna miss her. Because death or not, I'm not paying that bill. You understand what I'm saying? I was telling the story to a friend of mine the other day. He said, what happened? Did you make it? I said, no, we died right over Oklahoma. Here's your sign, Right? Friends, you know you have a problem when the pilot on board the plane is afraid for his own life. That's the situation that we have here. This is a storm that's hard and, and fierce and scary. So what storm are you facing today? I, I already know about COVID-19. Let, let's get beyond that. What other storm are you facing? You see, for some of you, you're facing downsizing in your business. Because everything has been changed. Everything has been re-strategized. And and maybe you're worried that the job that you once had isn't necessary for the company anymore. Some of you have even been let go. And you find yourself trying to find a new job with with the highest unemployment that I can remember in a long, long time. Maybe that's the storm that you're facing. Maybe the storm that you're facing is a financial uh, uncertainty. Because you're just running out of that savings account, that emergency account. Maybe the storm that you're facing is that you still have your kids in your house. And they won't let you go to school with those kids, you know. And you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do with them? And, And they want your help and they want your attention. But you've long since forgotten all of that stuff that you learned back in the days when you went to school. Maybe the storm that you're facing is that you've got some health issue. And you've received the test result that nobody wants to get, Friends, we're all going to face storms in this life. And and maybe the best thing I can give everyone is a a healthy dose of reality because God never said that life was going to be easy. And he never said that you wouldn't face a storm. He never said that you wouldn't have heartache and you wouldn't have trials, that you wouldn't have troubles. And I I just feel bad for people who think that God's going to put them in some little bubble and they're going to be immune to all the things in this world. That's just not the case. And when you believe that, you get so disappointed with God. Because you had this expectation that God's supposed to protect you and keep you from all harm and all trouble and all this stuff. And then when he allows you to be in the midst of a storm to teach you some things, it frustrates you. You say, what in the world are you, God? Why Why don't you do something? Why don't you intervene? He never promised us that we wouldn't face storms. Listen, even Jesus faced one storm after another after another. You ever had a hard time making ends meet? Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to put his, lay his head at night. You, you ever been tempted? Jesus was tempted in every way yet didn't sin. Jesus was tempted by Satan himself. You, you, you ever uh, wept at the graveside of a friend? Jesus wept at the graveside of Lazarus. You, you ever been betrayed? by a friend. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas came in and gave him the betrayer's kiss. And it wasn't too long after that that all the disciples, they fled to save their own necks. And then as he's facing his crucifixion, Peter denies knowing him not once, not twice, but three times. And then when he rises again from the dead, Thomas doubts that he ever rose again. His friends let him down again and again and again. You ever had a prayer not answered the way you hoped it would be answered? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying so intensely that sweat drops of blood are pouring down from his brow. He says, hey, Lord, if there be any other way to save these people from their sins, let's go another way. God said, no. Jesus got up and said, not my will be done, but your will be done. You ever feel like life isn't fair Jesus is crucified for our sins. He didn't do anything wrong. The most unfair, unjust act is that we nailed the Son of God to a cross to pay the sin debt that we owed a holy God. Friends, you're going to go through storms. So here's the thing. Rather than fighting against it, ask yourself and ask God, what do you want me to learn in the midst of this? What what, what do you want to reveal to me? What do you want to show me? What what do you want to teach me, God, about your character? What do you want to teach me about how to trust you in a way that I've never trusted you before? God, show me what you want me to learn. That's what's happening in the story. Jesus knows when he tells them to get on the boat that they're heading for a storm. Why does he put them in a storm? Write this down if you're taking notes. Because some lessons in life can only be learned in the midst of a storm. Let me say that again so you get it. Some lessons in life can only be learned when you're in the midst of a storm. When you find out that all you got is God and you find out that he's enough, you don't find that out outside of a storm. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples two lessons. The first lesson is he doesn't want them to be afraid of their mortality. You see, their lives are on the line. They're scared to death of death, and Jesus can't have that. Why can't he have that? Well, Jesus is going to die. He's going to rise again. He's going to entrust the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to these 12 men, and they've got to be fearless. They've got to be courageous everywhere they go. After Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, they're going to face persecution. They're going to face hardship. There's going to be people who want to kill them. They have to be men who don't fear death the so second lesson Jesus is trying to teach them in the middle of the storm. He's trying to teach them to rely upon him first. He's trying to teach them that when you find yourself in over your head, that the first thing you do is you call out to him. Because he is our rock, he is our refuge, and he is our strength. But the disciples, they don't do that, do they? No, no, the storm is buffeting the waves. It's crashing in. They're, They're taking in water and they're doing everything in their power to get through the storm in their own strength. Can you hear them? Hey, turn the boat toward the wave, toward the wave. Row, row, row. They're not calling out to Jesus. Why can't you sleep at night? Why is it that under the surface, because you're walking around saying, hey, everything's fine, everything's great, right? You're faking it really good. Why aren't we calling out to him? Why aren't we seeking him first? Why is he not our first thought? Why do we always think that we've got the strength, and we've got the wisdom, and we've got the might? You know, you got yourself in this storm, then you'll figure out a way to get yourself out of it. No wonder we can't sleep. No wonder we're so anxious. No, no wonder we just can't seem to have a clear thought. No wonder we're so angry. You see, you see how angry people are nowadays? Because we just don't have it within us to face this alone. And so many of us were just trying to gear up with everything we've got and all of our willpower and all of our strength. And you're failing, and you're still not calling out to the Lord. Look at what the Bible says here in Psalm 27. It says, In the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. Doesn't say he's gonna take me out of it. He says he'll keep me safe in it. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Let me share with you one of my favorite verses of Scripture. This is a verse of Scripture that I shared with my daughter, Cammie. She had to have a second back surgery. I don't know if you knew that. That happened about a month ago. And I couldn't go because of COVID. They only allow one parent in. So I'm on the phone with Cammie. And I said, hey, uh, she said, Dad, give me a verse. I said, well, this is the verse that I've been holding on to for a long time. Poor kid, two surgeries, major back surgeries in one year. Talk about a storm. I said, Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now think about, think about this, all right? That's good stuff, isn't it? That's good stuff. When you pass through the waters, that's the Red Sea. That which looked to be impossible, he splits it in two, and they walk across on dry land. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, what's that story? That's when the children of Israel heading into the promised land and the Jordan River's at flood stage. And what's God do? God stops the water back up, and again, they cross over on dry ground. And look at this last one. When you walk through the fire, well, who walked through the fire? It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was another in the fire, though, wasn't there? standing next to me, another one holding me. Because when Nebuchadnezzar looked inside that furnace, he didn't see three guys in there anymore. He saw four because Jesus was with them. When you walk through the fire, you will not be set ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. Listen, when it comes to storms in life, you can either panic or you can pray. You can either tread water or you can trust God. Now, here's what's interesting. (laughs) Disciples have Jesus in the boat. Why didn't they call out to him? Why don't we? Maybe it's because your God is so stinking small, he can't do anything. Why mess with him? He's not going to change anything. He's not going to fix anything. Many of us, we've long since given up on prayer makes zero sense to me why the disciples you know, didn't even seek out Jesus right off the bat because they've already seen Jesus heal people of, uh, who were deaf and blind and mute, those who had leprosy. They've already seen Jesus have power over darkness, over the demons, casting out evil spirits. I think they thought, you know what, what can he do? He can't change my situation. He, he didn't have power over nature, does he? They don't realize that the one who's in the boat is the creator of the heavens and the earth and that nothing, nothing is impossible with him. What happens in the story? Well, they've tried everything they know to try and they're drowning. It's not going well. And so they say, well, I guess we'll wake up Jesus. You can see Jesus is very panicked. He's asleep. And they got to kind of wake him up, you know, and Jesus is like, "What? What, what? what's going on? What's going on? I think he's faking it the whole time, you know, honestly. He's like, are these guys ever going to ask me for help? And what they ask, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? Haven't you been wondering the same thing? Of course he cares. Who else knows the number of hairs upon your head? Who else has thoughts of you that are so great and so many that they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore? Who else has collected every tear that you've ever shed in his bottle? Who else collects your prayers as a bowl of incense in the very throne of God? And it's a beautiful aroma. Who else sent his son to die for you and take your place and triumphantly rise again from the dead. Do you think he doesn't care? Jesus gets up. Quiet! Be still. And that was it. The storm clouds rolled away. The the sea became as smooth as glass. Because he can change the situation, can he? But do you believe that? Sometimes, get this, God calms the storm. The marriage is restored, the miracle money comes in the mail that prodigal son or daughter returns home. Where there was once a tumor, boom, chakalaka, it's all of a sudden gone. And sometimes, he doesn't calm the storm. He calms his child in the midst of the storm. And that's the greater miracle, isn't it? I've been your pastor for a long time. And, uh, Our pastors and myself, we've walked with you some of the difficult times of life, haven't we? I've seen so many people get sucker punched by life. Things just weren't right. Things just weren't fair. Their whole world's caving in around them, and nothing in their life makes any sense. And We go to the hospital to see them. We schedule the appointment after the loved one dies, and we sit down, and we say, hey, how are you doing? And they say, it's the weirdest thing. My whole life's caving in around me, and everything's chaos. But there's a peace inside of me that doesn't make any sense. It's the peace that passes all understanding, and it's guarding my heart, and it's guarding my mind in Christ Jesus. And I never would have known how awesome our God is if I hadn't faced this storm. Because there's some lessons in life that can only be learned in the midst of a storm. Two things I want you to write down. Two things to remember when you go through a storm. Remember this. Whatever we're going through, we're going through it. You don't stay in it. You're going through it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm not staying in it. I'm going through it. So when you're going through it... Ask him, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? You hold on to him with white knuckle intensity and you don't let go because he won't let go of you. And the second thing is this. You never walk through a storm alone. He is faithful and true. And he will be your refuge, and he will be your hiding place. He will be your peace in the midst of the storm. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He'll never leave you, and he will never forsake you. I can be strong and courageous because I know that he is with me. I can be strong and courageous because he will not turn his back on me. And I can be strong and courageous because I know whatever I go through, he won't waste it. He never wastes a single scar or a single moment of pain. He will leverage it What Satan intended for evil. God will turn it around for good. It's that resilient, defiant faith. We don't say, hey, everything's great, everything's fine. We say, no, God is on the throne and God is in charge and I'm holding on to him. We don't fake it anymore. We let him fix it. Sometimes he calms the storm. And sometimes he just calms you in the midst of it. Either way. Blessed be the name. Of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father. People watching me from home. People sitting here. Struggling. This whole thing has just been. Crazy! We've never experienced anything like it before in our lives. And we've tried everything in our own power and our own strength to navigate the storms that have come against us. We don't have it. and So we confess that we don't have it. But you do. You're greater than the storm. You're greater than anything. Help us, Lord, to seek your face. To turn to you first to cast all our cares upon you because you care so much for us. Thank you, God, that you always listen, that you always care, and that you're with us in the midst of it, and that you're going to refine us and you're going to make us the people that you need us to be so that we might be a help to somebody else who finds themselves on the same road. God, leverage our pain for your glory and give us strength to hold on to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a song that came out a little while ago. It's number one on the Christian chart right now called There Was Jesus by Zach Williams and Dolly Parton. Listen to the words of this song.